Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 4. Answer me when I call God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted men, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices and righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who can show us anything good? Look on us with favor, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nora. What a pro. Handled that perfectly. Let's pray. Father, I come before you as your humble servant who is seeking to deliver your word to your people. Father, be with me, a sinner, as I seek to proclaim the gospel to your sinners here. And may your grace cover us all and work in us so that we may turn to you and seek to live out these things in your word today. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, so we've been talking about uh, the resurrection and why it matters so much to us as Christians. Uh, We've talked about how it changes us, uh, how it gives us hope, how it gives us purpose. Uh, But all those ideas kind of work together, really, to give us... uh, you know, sort of this collective idea, right? We gain peace through change. We, we transform. We transform because we have new hope. We have new purpose because of that transformation and hope, right? They're all sort of linked together. And we end up being at peace, knowing our roles in life, and having a sense of security. And this goes for anybody, right? Not just for Christians. Uh, if you know who you are and you have a sense of purpose in your life, you'll be feeling pretty good about where things are at in life. Now, for the Christian, I believe uh, that we have an ultimate role and an ultimate sense of security that prevails over anything else uh, that others might hold on to, right? So uh, you might have a sense of security because you're wealthy, uh, but you can lose all your money, right? And then what? Uh, Or if you're healthy, there's this natural sense of immortality, right? But then your health can become compromised, and then what? Often, uh, a midlife crisis occurs because roles are suddenly changing for people and they no longer know how they ought to operate in that new phase of life. I'm looking at some of the parents here uh, who've got graduating seniors, okay? Uh, It may be a harder life, but you have a clearly defined purpose for much of parenthood, right? You're just really trying to get your kids raised and out the door to be able to take care of themselves, right? Uh, that's, there's an identity there. It's a hard job, but you know what you're supposed to do, and so you can live into that. But when they're gone, then what? Then what? People sometimes struggle with that because they don't know now what their new identity is. And so for the Christian, I would say that we can triumph in this area because we always have an identity uh, with at least a broad purpose and mission. And we, of course, we experience the joy of knowing that even if all things are taken from us, we can never be taken from Christ. And that we have an eternal life ahead of us spent with that immortal and all-good God. 
Uh, Pastor Nick has put uh, an immense amount of pressure on me to try to come up with good illustrations. He's very gifted at that, so I'm sure you've all felt like, uh, felt the same blessing from him and his teaching gifts, but uh, I'm not him, but I'm going to try my best to come up with some good illustrations today. Uh, but I, I knew a guy, uh, my brother-in-law, who is a, he's a school teacher uh, out in California, and, and he was telling me he had a student uh, that basically checked all the boxes for why you would be concerned about a kid, right? Um, you know, and so this kid, he would often, he'd, he'd go online, he'd play online games, and sometimes he'd join up with other students from school. And uh, one day, one of the students uh, pulled my brother-in-law aside and, and said he was concerned about this student. Because during their play sessions, uh, there were random people uh, that had started logging on and kind of talking with the group. Uh, and basically, uh, ultimately, this kid started posting some really disturbing uh, things, uh, specifically racist things. And, um, and so come to find out that this random group uh, was a group of white supremacists. And they had actually gone on. They were very specifically and intentionally targeting kids that they felt uh, didn't really have a community, uh, were kind of loner kids. And so they go into the chat sections of these games, and they'd, uh, yeah, they'd find these kids, and they'd sort of invite them to join their group. And, and it would be very uh, slow and steady, but, uh, but they'd just sort of chip away. And, and really they were looking uh, for somebody who felt like they didn't belong, but then also start providing answers for why they might be alone. And of course, the answers would be pointed towards other racial groups. Uh, and so uh, this student, you know, he had sort of taken to this ideology, these people get me, and so now he had an enemy. Uh, and so he started to spew these awful racist things, and, and as people would confront him, it only uh, caused him to grow angrier. Uh, and the backlash that he received confirmed for him what this white, white supremacist group was telling him, right? They don't get you. They don't understand. And so, see, this kid... Uh, as awful as it is, he had found an identity. He had found a community to which he felt he belonged with. And with that came a new purpose, as wicked as it was. He was provided with a sense of freedom he had not had before. He could be himself. Um, and so in our passage today, we're going to see God confronting this idea head on. We're, we're looking at Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 to start. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, and I'm reading from the CSB. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So there's some important background knowledge needed here. Okay, Most of us probably know, but maybe not all, uh, that you can sort of divide the world into two groups if you wanted to, uh, Jews and Gentiles. And the reason that works is because Gentiles are just anyone who isn't Jewish. Uh, and so either you are Jewish or you are not. Uh, knowing what I know about the area, knowing that we're uh, about 98, 99% Caucasian, I think it's safe to assume that everyone here uh, is Gentile, although if not, I would love for you to tell me about that. Uh, so, and from a Jewish point of view, right, uh, there are just these two sorts of cultures. You either loved God or you didn't love God. Uh, in a lot of ways, we could say the same thing today. 
but it looked differently back then, right? Because uh, their faith was uh, built on an ethnic basis, right? God had chosen the nation of Israel uh, to be his representatives. And so uh, there are certainly exceptions that you see if you go through the Old Testament. Uh, you'll see people like Ruth and Rahab uh, that join the people of Israel. Uh, and, you know, most people who worshiped Yahweh or, or what they called God in the Old Testament, okay, most of them were ethnically Jewish, but with Christ, there's this new problem, right? All people are welcomed into a covenant relationship with God, but they don't look like the old crew. Back then, circumcision was a dead ringer for which group you belong to. Kids, you can ask your parents what that is. Uh, and when you ask them, please record that and send it to me, because I definitely want to see what they say. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, God, he had set up circumcision as a sign of belonging to him and his covenants. But now the normal indicators of who worships God is no longer clear. And there used to be a lot of animosity towards those who were uncircumcised, not because of their uncircumcision per se, but because of what that usually entailed, right? Uh, the uncircumcised were Sabbath breakers. They were gluttons, sexually depraved, and blasphemers. And this was not just a sign of division between Jews and Gentiles, but really between God and Gentiles as well, right? It's a sign of hostility between them. So verse 12, it, it describes them as being without hope, that they had no citizenship in Israel, which I believe uh, is, is really just trying to say uh, that they, they didn't belong to God, right? And because they didn't belong to Israel, they didn't belong to God, and they weren't eligible for the promises made to Israel. So to the Jewish people, it felt like Gentiles coming to faith were sort of like lying on a scholarship application, you know, you say that you're part of an ethnicity because you think you might uh, suddenly be qualified for, uh, you know, certain benefits, right? And so they're upset with this, right? You're, you're taking benefits that belong to us. Uh, my wife's family, uh, they're weird. Uh, she knows this. Uh, <laughs> and so they have this thing called the Joe Club, okay? It's just a few members. It's not a serious group, although they want it to sound very serious. Uh, but it's made up of all the members of the family with the name Joe. So she's got her brother Joe, who I've already mentioned, uh, her uncle Joe, and her aunt Beverly Joe. Okay, so I, I was meeting the family. I found out about this club, uh, I think because they decided to meet up to talk about what they thought of me. You know, I was just a boyfriend at the time. And so, you know, me, I'm, I'm a bit of a troll, if you know me, and a deceiver. So I told them that my name is actually Jordan Joseph Taylor. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm lying. My middle name is Charles. But, but I told them, yeah, my middle name is Joseph. I don't think Diane even knew this at the time or was unsure. Uh, and so the fools believed me, of course, because who lies about that, right? Uh, so I don't remember how long I let them believe this, but, but I think my aunt discovered it at her wedding a, a few months later. Um, but anyway, so here I am. I'm trying to gain acceptance into a group I didn't belong to just so I could participate in the very silly meetings. Uh, what's especially funny about this is uh, Diana's Aunt Bev has dedicated her life uh, to the deaf community, helping them learn sign language and, you know, just sort of generally assimilate uh, into the speaking world. That's not the funny part. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, if, if you're familiar with deaf culture uh, and American sign language, they have what they call name signs, okay? And it's a, a really cool thing uh, where they kind of, they take the first letter of your name, uh, you know, in the sign, and then they, they try to morph it into a word that sort of describes you. Uh, so you might be, you know, really tall, so maybe they'll take your first letter and kind of turn that into the, the same sign for, for tall. Or you might be Bill the Brave or Vicky the Wise. Okay, I got Jordan the Liar. Uh, 
And so uh, the deaf community, even in an area as populated as the San Francisco area, it's pretty small and tight. And so to this day, a not insignificant part of the deaf community in San Francisco knows me as Jordan the Liar. Uh, certainly, I earned that name, so I can't be upset. Uh, now, they think they got the, the last laugh on that. But if you notice, Diane and I, we have named our sons Josiah and Jonah. So we've got some future Joe Club member <laughs> people there. So anyways. This is what the Jewish people felt like they were dealing with, right? Like, just like I didn't belong to this hallowed Joe club, they didn't belong with God. Our series, though, is but God, right? And so here's what the next part of our passage says. Uh, This is verse 13 through 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Okay, you catch that? Paul is talking to Gentiles of his day, saying that they weren't part of God's people, but God, through Christ, has eliminated the barriers between them and the Father. And because we are also Gentiles, that applies just as much to us. Jesus created peace between us and the Father and with each other because we are one. Nick is going to dive more into that one next week. Uh, but I want to focus on that concept of peace. And I think that we get it, uh, that, that sense of peace. We get that through identities. And so our identities are critical. We need to know who we are in order to be able to function in the world because it's our identities that give us purpose and a mission, Right? Um, imagine just stepping onto a basketball court. Nobody tells you what position anybody's playing. They're just like, just go play, uh, you know, and then they try drawing up plays and everything. It, it, it's going to be a little confusing. You'll be like, well, who's, who's the one taking up the ball? Who's, you know, who are we trying to feed this to? Uh, a lot of young adults are anxious because they don't know what they should do with their lives. And the reality is it's not so much about a career path, but more so a need to figure out who they are in Christ. Part of figuring that out is to start with Scripture. And so if you're not a believer and you're hearing me today, uh, this is especially true for you. We have to hear the hard truths before we can have a proper understanding of who we are. And so we want to know what's wrong with the world. And our passage today in Scripture elsewhere tells us the problem with the world is you, and it's me. It is not some external force. Rather, it comes directly from within our own hearts. We are the reason things don't work like they should. And with God, we are the reason we are separated from him. We have started a war with God. That needs to be the basis of our understanding of where we are. Or for the Christian, where we were. Because we were at war with God, but God reconciled us. Uh, We continue on in our passage, verse 14 through 16. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and express and regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. Paul tells us that he took these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he made them one group. How does that happen? Okay, How do you merge two groups together? You can only merge them in two ways. You either... Take one group, and they compromise everything and surrender everything and basically just assimilate to be like the other group. They take on those attributes. Or 
you build a foundational truth that you both identify with and you prioritize that, okay? In this case, it's both. We are able to merge groups in part because we're giving up the defining ideals that, or characteristics that put us in our old groups, or at least we're reprioritizing them. For example, when you become a Christian, you are called to no longer steal. If you were a thief before, you can no longer steal things as you please. You give up trying to satisfy your flesh and instead try to bring glory and honor to Christ. But we are also able to merge groups because we have a new point of reference that drives us, that gives us purpose, that we identify with. Uh, there's that famous verse in Galatians 3.28, and I'm going to add verse 29. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Notice two things here. Number one, you all share a new identity. It doesn't matter your background or your makeup. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. Paul is not saying that those other markers are invalid or that you shouldn't ever use them, uh, such as whether you're a Greek or a Jew, but rather he is saying that all those other markers take a backseat to your primary identity in Christ. Right? So for us, uh, we're most of us, I think, all, if not all, are American. Okay? It's fine to identify as an American, but what Paul is saying is that we ought to say we are a Christian first. That is the thing that matters more than anything else. The American part uh, comes at least second. So number two, and this is why I'm adding verse 29, you belong if you belong. You belong if you belong. There, there are no other strings attached. There's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian. You either are or are not a Christian. I've said this many times over the years here, but it's true. You are not more or less worthy of receiving eternal life than me because our worth is not based on what we do, but on what Christ has done. So if you are in Christ, then you too will receive the inheritance promised to Abraham's seed, regardless of what you've done. There's one more major thought from this, and it ties with the closing statement on our passage. Uh, verses 17 through 18. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I want to make this as clear as possible, because it is perhaps the single greatest influence in how you experience this peace. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the family of God because Christ died for you and rose again so that it was possible for you to join. As Mike said uh, a few weeks ago when he was preaching, God is not angry with you if you are a believer. Whatever you've done either before or after becoming a believer has already been dealt with on the cross. There is no more punishment to hand out because Christ has already taken it all upon himself. There is no more hostility between you and God. You are at peace. You can rest in that. And as the passage states, you have access to the Father. You are able to approach him whenever you want because Christ has made it so. You are allowed to go wake up your parents in the middle of the night as a kid without fear that they're going to kick you to the curb, though they may feel like it. You were born under Adam and therefore born into sin. But in Christ, you have died to sin and you have been raised and born again into life under Christ. We are no longer under Adam, but under Christ. So you can sort of picture uh, two family trees right? Adam used to be your dad, and uh, with that, your inheritance with him was death, but now you've been adopted into a new family tree, and that's with God as your father, and your inheritance is Christ and eternal life. Romans 8 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, 
then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Okay, so my family is made up of two Christian parents. Okay, so the Taylor family is going to operate a certain way because of that. Our kids are going to go to church every Sunday. They're going to hear the gospel talked about in the home, and they're going to pray with us. And there's just generally going to be some expectations that come as a result of having us as parents because they belong to the Taylor family. Okay, Diane and I, we want to instill in our kids a sense of compassion, uh, an appreciation for education or learning, a sense of generosity, etc. Okay, but our kids may not always perfectly mimic that, right? Uh, they may not value those things in the same way that we do. And whether they do or don't, though, they still are a part of the Taylor family. They do not cease to be a part of the family because they grow greedy or because they don't go to college. And Christian, it is the same with you, okay? If you belong to Christ, you cannot get kicked out of the family, right? There's an expectation that comes from being a part of the family, okay, that you act like the family of God, but Jesus covers us even when we fail to meet that standard. If you want peace, live into that reality, that you are able to live freely without guilt, without fear of falling away, without fear of making dad mad. That is your identity, that you are a child of God. Live freely, knowing that the Spirit will keep you in the family and that your salvation, your inheritance of eternal life is secure. You can't lose it because Jesus can't lose it, right? You have been united to him, Scripture says. Now, of course, whenever you say stuff like this, okay, there's always people that want to ask something and sort of test that claim, right? So what if I become an atheist and I, I kill a bunch of Christians and I do everything I can to oppose the kingdom, right? You know, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer 50 years ago. Does that, does that mean I'm still in the family of God? And my answer to that simply is that you were likely never really a part of the family of God, right? You, you sort of were introduced to the family, but you never were really welcomed in. And so I don't know what your experience was, but Jesus warns us of the fig trees that don't bear figs, okay? What, what does he say about them? They're not fig trees, right? Uh, If you embody none of the fruits of the Spirit and are also hostile to God, then I seriously question whether you were ever a part of that. Okay, now there's tension here, right? Because uh, what I'm saying is that it's not based on what we do, but also what we do sort of signifies where we stand with God, right? Uh, You know, so for example, you know, if I, if I take off my wedding ring, if it'll come off here, okay, I am still married to Diana, even though my ring is off, right? It doesn't, I mean, in one sense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change our relationship, However, if I do that, uh, especially to say if I'm going out and I do that, Diana may have uh, a few questions for me about why I am choosing to take off my wedding ring, right? Uh, my wife, she also, she brought up an example last week in adult ed that uh, a lot of people found helpful, and I, I also found it helpful, uh, and that it's, you know, salvation is sort of like receiving a house, right? You ought to value that house because someone gave it to you, and you recognize how incredible of a gift that is, right? I mean, if somebody just gifted you a house, that'd be... Uh, pretty incredible, right? And the reality is you're still a homeowner even if you don't cut the grass or even if you haven't mopped the floors, right? Um, you know, you could argue, yeah, you should probably be taking better care of it, right? It was given to you. You should treat it with respect, right? That sort of thing. But, but you still own the home, right? But are you really a homeowner if you're living out on the streets, right? I mean, maybe legally in one sense, but, you know, why don't you live in the house? I, I don't know. 
I'm just going to sleep out here on the streets, right? Uh, and that's sort of the difference, right? And the awesome thing is, even if you hate Jesus and have seen to it that a bunch of Christians are murdered, we have solid proof that the gospel can reach even you, right? That, that salvation is offered even to that person, because that is who is writing our letter today. You just need to repent and trust that Jesus' righteousness is greater than your unrighteousness, and believe that he offers it to you through his death and resurrection. So closing up here soon. Getting back to our passage in Galatians 3 then. Jesus, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, has brought us peace with the Father. But he has also done that with the others, whoever the others might be for you. Okay, whoever you think maybe doesn't really belong in the church. Jews and Gentiles, they did not get along. But now in Christ, some have become Christians first. They become Jewish Christians or Greek Christians. Their previous identities are now merely adjectives to describe the most important thing about them. Okay, they are more Christian than they are Jewish or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Right? Verse 15 essentially says that God negated the law as a barrier to the promises, that the Jews were under the law, but now Jewish Christians and Greek Christians live under Christ the law. And so being in the family of God, right? Like I said, it comes with the expectation that we love the other family members. Okay, I would be devastated if my kids wound up hating each other. Okay, that'd be extremely difficult because we love God and we appreciate what Christ has done for us. And that should motivate us to love all of God's children because we see how much the Father cared for us when he rescued us. We're united in that love that we have both experienced. And so there's no room for exclusion of others who share the faith. So I'll close with a conclusion to the story about my brother-in-law student. Okay, so uh, after he was discovered, right, uh, you know, obviously the school was sort of notified of what was going on, and staff uh, started meeting with him. You know, he's meeting with the principal and, and of course, uh, my, my brother-in-law. And so, you know, as they confronted him, he started uh, trying to justify himself. You know, uh, well, you don't understand. These people, you know, are taking away our rights or they're, they're infringing on our space or, or whatever it is, right? They're, they're forcing me to draw back. And, you know, just, you know, awful rhetoric in there. But uh, through time, after many conversations where Joe would speak truth into this kid's life and also offer forgiveness for everything the student had said and, and had done, the student, he finally broke down because he realized how much the school cared for him and how much this community was sort of rallying behind him, okay, trying to protect him from this group uh, who were really trying to recruit him. And so suddenly he had a community now, and with it, he found peace. Okay, before he had raged within himself, uh, he hated himself before somebody offered, you know, to redirect that hatred towards someone else. But, but in finding the community, he was finally at peace with himself and with the other people around him. And so with each of you, if you're a Christian, you have access to the God of peace. Each day, you need to wake up and your first thought needs to be something along the lines of reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. Nothing else matters as much as that. And the rest of your day needs to flow from that truth, right? Understanding who you are, understanding your purpose in life, that ought to be the driving force for you. So you gain peace when you reflect on the gospel, and it applies to anything you're going through. Whether you're unsure of what your next career move is or what your purpose is in retirement, whether you're grieving the loss of someone or something that you loved, you can find peace in your strained marriage or your failing health or your empty bank account. Because even, uh, even if everything is going great in your life right now, 
right? There's a peace and joy knowing that what you are currently experiencing is just a foretaste of what is to come in the eternal kingdom. And it's all because of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you can experience peace today by putting your hope in Christ. As Paul said earlier in our passage, without him, you are ultimately hopeless. I don't mean to insult you by saying that, but no matter what your position is in life, you will ultimately die like everyone else here, like everyone else who has ever lived. Your money and your legacy will ultimately fade away. But God, but God has intervened in our world and he's offered to you his grace. And if you should come to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, know that you will have this huge community of believers here to walk alongside you as you go through life, working together to live out our identities as children of God and experiencing that peace that he gives through that. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are so grateful for you and just for the work that you do in our lives. Father, that, uh, that you, uh, you came uh, alongside us as we were sinners, as we were lost, as that was our identity. And you took it upon yourself through your grace and your mercy and your love to give us a new identity to live into. So, Father, I ask that, uh, that you'd help uh, each of us to live into that, to recognize it each and every day. Lord, whether it be uh, through the self-hatred that some of us experience as we beat ourselves up, may your truth speak into our lives that says, you belong to me. You are a child of God. That Jesus has died for us, that he has risen again for us, so that we too might experience new life in him. That the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and working in us And Lord, is preserving us to the end. So Father, I pray uh, for any of us who are experiencing uh, discontent or uh, chaos in our lives, Lord, that, uh, that through the work of Christ and through this new identity that you've given us, may we experience that peace forever. Pray this all in your name. Amen.